Today we're looking at Matthew chapter 16, beginning at verse 13. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But he said to them, Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you, you're Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he sternly ordered the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Brothers and sisters, this is the gospel of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. So ordinarily, I would um, have shared what I'm about to uh, during announcements, but I chose to wait until now, um, the middle of the service, uh, starting Saturday night at our 5 o'clock service and all morning. I'm doing the same now because uh, I'm mindful that, you know, for a lot of people, you know, Getting here on time is a challenge, and we have many wonderful, beautiful people. In spite of their best intentions, you know, they they make it in the sanctuary after the announcements are over, and we're singing our first hymn. I've also been told uh, from some of our members who are watching at home that they really enjoy the power of the remote control, and that they often will wait for a service uh, to be completely uploaded, and then they'll watch it, but they'll just fast forward to the sermon. So I'm on to you, and uh, what I'm about to share here that ordinarily would have been an announcement, um, I need to do it this time, because I want everyone who's participating today here and at home to, to hear these words. We are in the third and final year of our senior pastor succession. We are uh, faithfully carrying out the plan that you, the people of God in this congregation, Uh, voted on um, over two years ago. We're following that plan carefully, faithfully, lovingly. I'll be preaching once a month in this final year, 2021, until Pastor Watts becomes your next senior pastor on January 1st, uh, the year of our Lord, 2022. Uh, Having preached at all the services, a majority of the weekends since 1998, that's... um, over 3,000 times. Our succession plan uh, calls for Jerry to preach a majority of weekends this year, about 75% of the sermons, just as it called for him to preach about half the sermons this last year. So that's the plan, and we're uh, adhering to it. A few people were concerned that I did not have an article in the January edition of our newsletter called Faith Alive. And for those of you who are alarmed or upset, please just be at peace and don't worry. That was my decision. Um, while most of you received the letter electronically, uh, we still have a lot of members who are old-fashioned and they just want to receive a good old hard copy of the newsletter in the mail. And as such... You know, it's a finite document. It's only got so much space, so many pages. And so it was my decision to give Jerry an opportunity to greet you in his epistle and for our newest associate pastor, Mark Behanna, to 
let you know about his upcoming class, and for our intern, Scott Strawn, to tell you about the important and wonderful things that are going on with our family, youth, and children's ministries in spite of the COVID restrictions. So, so rest assured that in the months between now and December, I'll have an occasional article on Faith Alive. I just chose not to do it this time. In just over 11 short months, uh, Jerry will be the senior pastor and his ministry team will be serving the Lord here at Faith and ministering to you, the good people of this congregation. This third and final year allows Jerry to gradually take on all those responsibilities so he's not hit with them all at once. Like I remember being hit uh, in August of 98 like a deer caught in the headlights. Um, And it allows, I pray, uh, for me, by God's grace, to, uh, to faithfully kind of step back from those duties that have been uniquely and categorically my own for all these years and to uh, shift in some new and different areas of ministry. It doesn't mean that I'm not working. Some people have asked, is Bruce even still working? Yes, I am. I am, and I'll work faithfully uh, by God's grace uh, to my last day with you. I officiated at uh, four funerals and memorial services the last days of 2020. Um, I met with Don Anderson's family. I'll be officiating at Ann's service this Wednesday, as I mentioned. I continue to provide pastoral care and counseling for people who are in times of loss, uh, times of despair, times of um, crises, in their walk with Christ, in their family situation. I'll do that to my last day with you. And I'm also shifting into a new area that I haven't had much time to concentrate, and that is uh, legacy stewardship. You know, people who have the capacity and the ability to bless our congregation with um, uh, above and beyond regular offering gifts to our endowment. I want to do everything I can to ensure the future health and vitality of this congregation that I love so much. So I'm asking God to guide me and to prompt me and who I'm contacting these last 12 months. And if you feel left out and you're just itching to make a major gift, please don't wait for me to call you. Call me. I'd love to hear from you. But right now I'm counting on the Holy Spirit to guide me in that process. And if the Spirit prompts you to talk with me because you'd like to make a major gift to our endowment fund, our endowment fund, I'd love to hear from you. So we're moving forward. And uh, when it comes to the kingdom of this world, the kingdom on the left, uh, we talk about uh, peaceful transfer of power. When it comes to uh, the government, our elected officials, especially the president of the United States, and here at Faith, we don't talk about, we never have a transfer of power. There is no power to be transferred. Rather, we speak of a spirit-led transfer of duties and and servant leadership and ministry. That's unfolding right now. It's happening according to plan. I ask you to pray for Jerry every day as he will become your next senior pastor in 356 days. And if the Spirit leads you, I ask you to pray for me that I would... uh, stay strong to the finish line and complete the ministry into which I was ordained uh, 13,335 days ago. And I'll leave it to you to do the math. So, having referred to our nation, 
I ask all of you who are here in the sanctuary and everyone who's participating at home to join me in a moment of silent prayer. I ask you to go to the mercy seat. I ask you to take your petitions to uh, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords as we pray uh, to God Almighty for our nation, given everything that we've witnessed and experienced in recent days, especially the District of Columbia. And after you pray in the silent voices of your hearts to our Father in Heaven, I'll lead us in a concluding spoken prayer. So let us pray now. Father in heaven, almighty God, as we face these unprecedented, uncertain times in our nation, we ask you once again to make yourself known as you dwell among us. Comfort us in the knowledge that you alone are Savior, Master, the Lord of all life. Father, we entrust our country to your loving care and your sovereignty. Send your Holy Spirit to stir the mind and touch the hearts of our elected leaders and every citizen in this nation. We need you, Lord. Give us wisdom to know what's right give us the desire to do what is right. Give us your light in the darkness of these times, your truth in the midst of so many lies and empty promises. We need you to guide us. Help us to seek your will in all things and to serve the world around us for the sake of your kingdom, the eternal kingdom the only kingdom that will abide forever. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. There's probably a good seven or eight sermons that could be preached from today's gospel reading. We don't have time for that many sermons today, do we? But as I prayed over this text and as I um, thought about these last sermons that I'll be preaching, uh, 11 more after today, uh, I wanted to be sure that I was preaching some really um, important foundational biblical truths. And I pray that I've always done that. I, I pray that I've never preached a sermon that was, you know, just peripheral or um, unimportant. I pray that all the sermons I've been allowed to preach here have been faithful to God's Word. But 
in these last months, I really want to focus on some things that are eternal, that are essential, uh, things that um, we should all agree on, uh, things that have uh, blessed all the saints who have gone before us, uh, truths and doctrines that I hope uh, bless you now. So I'm just going to look at a few of these important uh, verses in this conversation that Matthew records for us between Jesus and his disciples. Our Lord says, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? That's a personal question. He asked it personally of his disciples. And in response to that question, many Christians today, good people, loving people, sincere people, our brothers and sisters in Christ to be sure, respond by saying, who is Jesus? He is my personal Lord and Savior. You might have said that. You might say that even now. Within the church universal, within the the body of Christ around the world and in all of its various expressions, some believers find that language kind of problematic because they believe that talking about Jesus as your personal Lord uh, makes it sound like he's your own little personal attendant and that language doesn't capture the truth that he is Lord of all people, all nations, all the earth, the entire universe. And I think that in charity and in Christian kindness, we can say that there's truth to both of those assertions, both sides of that perspective. What Jesus has done for us is personal. He died for a person named William Bruce Wilder, Jr., My personal sins were forgiven on the cross by the blood of Jesus. He died for that person who is uniquely you. You've got your sins, I've got mine. Jesus died for them all. It's personal. I cannot believe for you, and you cannot believe for me. So we can agree that Jesus is our personal Lord and Savior. That said, our faith is not subjective or individualistic to the point where it is private. And you see, this is where some people have a little trouble with, you know, a personal Jesus. Because when talking with people and someone asks a question, you go, well, I'm not going to answer that. That's personal. Like it's private. Like it's none of your business, right? So that's a concern that some people have. That we're not called to a private faith, but to public faith in the public forum. We're not individuals just doing our own God thing. We're in communion. We're in koinonia. We're in fellowship with the church triumphant that Ann Anderson just joined and the church militant here on earth. So our faith is personal and public. That's underscored in every celebration of holy baptism and every uh, rite of confirmation that takes place we call the rite of confirmation uh, public affirmation of faith where an individual man, woman, or child uh, baptized then stands and says, you know, it's, it's my personal faith but I now take my place publicly in the priesthood of all believers. I uh, say yes to the lordship of Jesus not over uh, my own life but over his church that I now want to be a part of that I willingly, joyfully, obediently uh, 
claim as my own. Who do you say that I am? The disciples offered up lots of opinions about what they were hearing as they moved about, as they were circulating. And if asked the question today, who is Jesus? There's just as many, if not more, opinions about his identity. And while there are many and varied opinions and speculations about who was Jesus, there's only one correct answer. We heard it. Peter gave it. Jesus is Messiah. He is Christos, Christ, the Anointed One. He is the Word made flesh. He is the Son of the living God. In these final opportunities I have to preach, I want to share with you some of the Christian writings, uh, some of the thoughts of Christians with uh, great insight that have blessed and enriched my life and ministry. And today I'm going to share with you a quote I've shared before, but some of you have never heard it because you've only been visiting this congregation recently, tuning into the broadcast in the last 10 months. So for some of you, it's going to be familiar. It's from C.S. Lewis, who was very concerned, uh, not just a few years ago, but in the middle of the last century, about all this uh, speculation about Jesus and people uh, unwilling to acknowledge his divinity. And so even though he wrote this um, in the middle of the last century, I think it's uh, pertinent to this century in today's culture. So Lewis said, I'm trying to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept him as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That's the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about Jesus being a great human teacher. He's not left that open to us. He did not intend to. And so this is what the church proclaims. In and out of season, Jesus is God. Jesus is Savior. And I know that in these uh, COVID uh, days of restriction and staying at home and social distancing, a lot of you are spending a lot more time than you ever have before uh, watching Lifetime dramas and Netflix. Um, I have to. But maybe um, it'd be good to pick up C.S. Lewis's book, uh, this winter. And the quote I just shared with you is from uh, Mere Christianity. And it's a good read, and it will bless you. Jesus then says, after Peter's faithful answer to the question, I, Jesus, I will build my church and the gates of Hades, sometimes translated hell, will not prevail against it. I'll build my church, says Jesus. Which means the church is his. It does not belong to a pope, a bishop. It does not belong to any pastor or priest. 
and it doesn't belong to you either. You belong to Christ. You belong to his church. You belong to Jesus. The church is our Lord's idea. It is his creation. It belongs to him alone. It is not what so many people today refer to as, you know, a man-made organization or organized religion or uh, the one I hear over and over again. You know, the church is a voluntary association of like-minded people. Um, The church is the bride of Christ. The church is holy. It is set apart by Jesus as his beloved. So here's another quote I shared with the congregation a long time ago. I'm going to share it again today. It's my last chance. It came from a pastor by the name of Lillian Daniel. And uh, she titled this spiritual but not religious, please stop boring me. It goes like this. On airplanes, I dread that conversation with the person who finds out I'm a pastor and wants to use the flight time to explain to me that he is spiritual but not religious. Such a person will always share this as if it is some kind of daring insight unique to him, bold in its rebellion against the religious status quo. Next thing you know, he's telling me he finds God in the sunsets. These people always are finding God in the sunsets. And in walks on the beach. Sometimes I think these people never leave the beach or the mountains, what with all the communing they do with God on hilltops and hiking trails. Oh, and did I mention the beach at sunset yet? Like people who go to church don't see God in the sunset. Like we are these little monastic hermits who never leave the church building. How lucky we are to have these geniuses inform us that God is in nature. As if we don't hear that in the Psalms, the story of creation and throughout our deep tradition. Being privately spiritual but not religious just doesn't interest me because there's nothing challenging about having deep thoughts all by oneself. What is interesting is doing this work in community where other people might call you out on stuff and, heaven forbid, disagree with you. Where life with God gets rich and provocative is when you dig deeply into a tradition you did not invent all for yourself. So thank you for sharing, spiritual but not religious sunset person. You are now comfortably in the norm for self-centered American culture, right smack in the bland majority of people who find our ancient religion dull, but find themselves uniquely fascinating. Can I switch seats now? And sit next to someone who's been shaped by that mighty cloud of witnesses? Can I spend my time talking to someone brave enough to encounter God in real human community? Because when this flight gets choppy... That's who I went by my side, holding my hand, saying a prayer, and simply putting up with me, just like we try to do in the church. God, I wish I'd written that. (laughs) But Lillian did. And even with some of the things said tongue-in-cheek, I mean, she speaks truth. Sometimes life and community gets really messy, just like it gets messy in your own homes, right? And I'm not talking about the kitchen. (laughs) It's in community with our personal faith in Jesus that we live out our shared life 
and witness and discipleship. And then because of time, all I can do now is ask you to ponder that really interesting last verse. Did it sound surprising to you? Jesus ordered, sternly ordered. You ever been talked to sternly? You know what that means. It's not a request. He sternly ordered the disciples, don't tell anyone that I'm the Messiah. Now that seems counterintuitive, doesn't it? Some people act as if this order is still in force. I remember hearing as a child from my elders, if you want to be polite, never discuss politics or religion. I think that originated with Mark Twain, I'm not sure. I heard it growing up, I hear it now. Don't discuss religion and politics. Well, it seems like everybody these days is willing to discuss politics. Been on Facebook lately? But it seems, at least to me, that fewer and fewer people are willing to share their faith in Jesus Christ in the public square. Be it um, real, you know, or, um, you know, on the internet. Jesus gave this specific order at a specific time at a specific place because he didn't want anything or anyone detouring him or diverting him from his mission. His, his face was set toward Jerusalem. And on that third visit to the holy city, he knew that's where he would be betrayed, crucified, buried, and raised. And so at this moment, Jesus is telling his disciples, now is not the time. I have other things to do as you walk with me to my uh, enthronement. That's the language of John's gospel, that Jesus is lifted up and his coronation, you know, is not being placed on a comfortable throne, you know, with velvet and, and jewels. He, he's, he's enthroned on a cross and his crown is not gold or silver, it's thorns. So Jesus said at this moment, don't tell people who I am, that that day will come. And surely it did come as he fulfilled his mission unto death on a cross. And the same Jesus who told those disciples then, now's not the time to be broadcasting my identity, now tells the church in every generation to go to all the nations proclaiming my gospel, teaching everyone everything I've taught you. So uh, we are to tell others about Christ. You know, back when I was one of several candidates being considered for uh, the senior pastor ministry here. Lots of documents were being exchanged um, between Albuquerque and Austin, Minnesota. And in all of those uh, packets of paper and all the documents and uh, all the things that the call committee sent to me and all the documents I sent to them, uh, one thing that I received from faith just caught my attention and it's, it's held my attention ever since. The beauty, uh, the economy of words, the clarity with which our congregation describes its mission, uh, first and, and foremost in that mission is to lead people to Christ. 
I was so excited to be in conversation with a congregation who just knew that's its uh, first and most important reason for being, to be evangelical, to lead people to Christ. As I think and pray about the future of this congregation, I'm well aware that if you, the people of God, of, of Faith Lutheran, don't lead other people to Christ, then this congregation may very well uh, close its doors. As many congregations have closed their doors. I mean, they've gone out of existence forever. Uh, the good people at uh, Patheos, uh, P-A-T-H-E-O-S, patheos.com, you can go to the internet. You can trust but verify what the pastor has to say. Uh, they've done the hard research. They've looked at the data. And um, they conclude that about 5,000 congregations close annually, and that's been going on for about 10 years. But the most important reason for leading people to Christ is not to keep the lights on or the heating bill paid you know, or the doors open. The reason... We seek to lead people to Christ as we know what the Bible teaches, and that is without Christ, they're already as good as dead and don't know it. So we want to see people come alive. We want to see people healed and restored and given a hope that is eternal. And if the people of God, you, in this congregation, talk religion, share your faith. This personal Jesus who died for you, and he died for all the people who have yet to meet him. If you do your part, well, there's nothing to worry about when it comes to the future of this congregation. Nothing to worry about. Not a, a downward turn in the economy. Not a nation divided by politics and the, and the politics of hate. There's nothing to fear. Not even persecution, which comes from those who hate Jesus and, and who hate Jesus' people just as much. Nothing can stop a church on fire, fired up for Jesus. No height, no depth, no principality, no power. Remember that from the Apostle Paul? Nothing. And let's remember what Jesus said, even in these dark times. Not even the gates of Hades, not even the gates of hell can prevail against his church. And that means you. You are his. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.